Section 5 of Geronimo's Story of His Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Geronimo's Story of His Life by Geronimo. Transcribed by S. M. Barrett and translated by Asadek Lugi. Section 5 part three of the mexicans and part one of the white men the mexicans part three chapter eleven heavy fighting about eighteen seventy three we were again attacked by mexican troops in our settlement but we defeated them then we decided to make raids into mexico we moved our whole camp packing all our belongings on mules and horses went into Mexico and made camp in the mountains near Nacori. In moving our camp in this way, we wanted no one to spy on us, and if we passed a Mexican's home, we usually killed the inmates. However, if they offered to surrender and made no resistance or trouble in any way, we would take them prisoners. Frequently we would change our place of rendezvous. Then we would take with us our prisoners if they were willing to go but if they were unruly they might be killed i remember one mexican in the sierra madre mountains who saw us moving and delayed us for some time we took the trouble to get him thinking the plunder of his house would pay us for the delay but after we had killed him we found nothing in his house worth having we ranged in these mountains for over a year raiding the mexican settlements for our supplies but not having any general engagement with mexican troops then we returned to our homes in Arizona. After remaining in Arizona about a year, we returned to Mexico and went into hiding in the Sierra Madre Mountains. Our camp was near Nacori, and we had just organized bands of warriors for raiding the country when our scouts discovered Mexican troops coming toward our camp to attack us. Battle of White Hill The chief of the Netni Apaches, Ho, was with me, and commanded one division. The warriors were all marched toward the troops and met them at a place about five miles from our camp. We showed ourselves to the soldiers, and they quickly rode to the top of a hill and dismounted, placing their horses on the outside for breastworks. It was a round hill, very steep and rocky, and there was no timber on its sides. There were two companies of Mexican cavalry, and we had about sixty warriors. We crept up the hill behind the rocks, and they kept up a constant fire. But I had cautioned our warriors not to expose themselves to the Mexicans. I knew that the troopers would waste their ammunition. Soon we had killed all their horses, but the soldiers would lie behind these and shoot at us. While we had killed several Mexicans, we had not yet lost a man. However, it was impossible to get very close to them in this way, and I deemed it best to lead a charge against them. We had been fighting ever since about one o'clock, and about the middle of the afternoon, seeing that we were making no further progress, I gave the sign for the advance. The war whoop sounded, and we leaped forward from every stone over the Mexicans' dead horses, fighting hand to hand. The attack was so sudden that the Mexicans, running first this way and then that, became so confused that in a few minutes we had killed them all. Then we scalped the slain, 
carried away our dead, and secured all the arms we needed. That night we moved our camp eastward through the Sierra Madre Mountains into Chihuahua. No troops molested us here, and after about a year we returned to Arizona. Almost every year we would live a part of the time in Old Mexico. There were at this time many settlements in Arizona. Game was not plentiful, and besides we liked to go down into Old Mexico. Besides, the lands of the Netnai Apaches, our friends and kinsmen, extended far into Mexico. Their chief, Ho, was as a brother to me, and we spent much of our time in his territory. About 1880 we were in camp in the mountains south of Casa Grande when a company of Mexican troops attacked us. There were 24 Mexican soldiers and about 40 Indians. The Mexicans surprised us in camp and fired on us, killing two Indians the first volley. I do not know how they were able to find our camp unless they had excellent scouts and our guards were careless, but there they were shooting at us before we knew they were near. We were in the timber, and I gave the order to go forward and fight at close range. We kept behind rocks and trees until we came within ten yards of their line. Then we stood up, and both sides shot until all the Mexicans were killed. We lost twelve warriors in this battle. This place was called by the Indian Scolata. When we had buried our dead and secured what supplies the Mexicans had, we went northeast. At a place near Nacori, Mexican troops attacked us. At this place, called by the Indians Nacode, there were about eighty warriors, Badonkahe and Netnai Apaches. There were three companies of Mexican troops. They attacked us in an open field, and we scattered, firing as we ran. They followed us, but we dispersed and soon were free from their pursuit. Then we reassembled in the Sierra Madre Mountains. Here a council was held and as Mexican troops were coming from many quarters, we disbanded. In about four months, we reassembled at Casa Grande to make a treaty of peace. The chiefs of the town of Casa Grande and all of the men of Casa Grande made a treaty with us. We shook hands and promised to be brothers. Then we began to trade, and the Mexicans gave us mezcal. Soon, nearly all the Indians were drunk. While they were drunk, two companies of Mexican troops from another town attacked us, killed twenty Indians, and captured many more. We fled in all directions. Chapter 12. Geronimo's Mightiest Battle After the treachery and massacre of Casa Grande, we did not reassemble for a long while, and when we did, we returned to Arizona. We remained in Arizona for some time, living in San Carlos Reservation, at a place now called Geronimo. In 1883 we went into Mexico again. We remained in the mountain ranges of Mexico for about 14 months, and during this time we had many skirmishes with Mexican troops. In 1884 we returned to Arizona to get other Apaches to come with us into Mexico. The Mexicans were gathering troops in the mountains where we had been ranging, and their numbers were so much greater than ours that we could not hope to fight them successfully, and we were tired of being chased about from place to place. In Arizona we had trouble with the United States soldiers, explained in next chapter, and returned to Mexico. We had lost about fifteen warriors in Arizona, 
and had gained no recruits. With our reduced number, we camped in the mountains north of Arispe. Mexican troops were seen by our scouts in several directions. The United States troops were coming down from the north. We were well armed with guns and supplied with ammunition, but we did not care to be surrounded by the troops of two governments, so we started to move our camp southward. One night we made camp some distance from the mountains by a stream. There was not much water in the stream, but a deep channel was worn through the prairie, and small trees were beginning to grow here and there along the bank of this stream. In those days we never camped without placing scouts, for we knew that we were liable to be attacked at any time. The next morning, just at daybreak, our scouts came in, aroused the camp, and notified us that Mexican troops were approaching. Within five minutes the Mexicans began firing on us. We took to the ditches made by the stream, and had the women and children busy digging these deeper. I gave strict orders to waste no ammunition and keep under cover. We killed many Mexicans that day, and, in turn, lost heavily, for the fight lasted all day. Frequently, troops would charge at one point, be repulsed, then rally and charge at another point. About noon, we began to hear them speaking my name with curses. In the afternoon, the general came on the field, and the fighting became more furious. I gave orders to my warriors to try to kill all the Mexican officers. About three o'clock, the general called all the officers together at the right side of the field. The place where they assembled was not very far from the main stream, and a little ditch ran out close to where the officers stood. Cautiously, I crawled out this ditch, very close to where the council was being held. The general was an old warrior. The wind was blowing in my direction so that I could hear all he said, and I understood most of it. This is about what he told them. Officers, yonder in those ditches is the red devil Geronimo and his hated band. This must be his last day. Ride on him from both sides of the ditches. Kill men, women, and children. Take no prisoners. Dead Indians are what we want. Do not spare your own men. Exterminate this band at any cost. I will post the wounded to shoot all deserters. Go back to your companies and advance. Just as the command to go forward was given, I took deliberate aim at the general, and he fell. In an instant the ground around me was riddled with bullets, but I was untouched. The Apaches had seen... From all along the ditches arose the fierce war-cry of my people. The columns wavered an instant and then swept on. They did not retreat until our fire had destroyed the front ranks. After this their fighting was not so fierce, yet they continued to rally and re-advance until dark. They also continued to speak my name with threats and curses. That night, before the firing had ceased, a dozen Indians had crawled out of the ditches and set fire to the long prairie grass behind the Mexican troops. During the confusion that followed, we escaped to the mountains. This was the last battle that I ever fought with Mexicans. United States troops were trailing us continually from this time until the treaty was made with General Miles in Skeleton Canyon. 
During my many wars with the Mexicans, I received eight wounds as follows. Shot in the right leg above the knee, and still carry the bullet. Shot through the left forearm. Wounded in the right leg below the knee with a saber. Wounded on top of the head with the butt of a musket. Shot just below the outer corner of the left eye. Shot in the left side. Shot in the back. I have killed many Mexicans. I do not know how many, for frequently I did not count them. Some of them were not worth counting. It has been a long time since then, but still I have no love for the Mexicans. With me they were always treacherous and malicious. I am old now, and shall never go on the warpath again. But if I were young, and followed the warpath, it would lead into old Mexico. Part Three, The White Men, Chapter Thirteen, Coming of the White Men. About the time of the massacre of Casquilla, 1858, we heard that some white men were measuring land to the south of us. In company with a number of other warriors, I went to visit them. We could not understand them very well, for we had no interpreter, but we made a treaty with them by shaking hands and promising to be brothers. Then we made our camp near their camp, and they came to trade with us. We gave them buckskin, blankets, and ponies in exchange for shirts and provisions. We also brought them game for which they gave us some money. We did not know the value of this money, but we kept it, and later learned from the Navajo Indians that it was very valuable. Every day they measured land with curious instruments and put down marks which we could not understand. They were good men, and we were sorry when they had gone on into the West. They were not soldiers. These were the first white men I ever saw. About ten years later some more white men came. These were all warriors. They made their camp on the Gila River south of Hot Springs. At first they were friendly, and we did not dislike them but they were not as good as those who came first. After about a year, some trouble arose between them and the Indians, and I took the warpath as a warrior, not as a chief. I had not been wronged, but some of my people had been, and I fought with my tribe, for the soldiers and not the Indians were at fault. Not long after this, some of the officers of the United States troops invited our leaders to hold a conference at Apache Pass, Fort Bowie. Just before noon the Indians were shown into a tent and told that they would be given something to eat. When in the tent they were attacked by soldiers. Our chief, Mangus Colorado, and several other warriors, by cutting through the tent, escaped. But most of the warriors were killed or captured. Among the Badonkahe Apaches killed at this time were Sansa, Quadetaje, Nicocaje, and Gopi. After this treachery, the Indians went back to the mountains and left the fort entirely alone. I do not think that the agent had anything to do with planning this, for he had always treated us well. I believe it was entirely planned by the soldiers. From the very first, the soldiers sent out to our western country and the officers in charge of them did not hesitate to wrong the Indians. They never explained to the government when an Indian was wronged, but always reported the misdeeds of the Indians. 
Much that was done by mean white men was reported at Washington as the deeds of my people. The Indians always tried to live peaceably with the white soldiers and settlers. One day, during the time that the soldiers were stationed at Apache Pass, I made a treaty with the post. This was done by shaking hands and promising to be brothers. Cochise and Mangus, Colorado, did likewise. I do not know the name of the officer in command, but this was the first regiment that ever came to Apache Pass. This treaty was made about a year before we were attacked in a tent, as above related. In a few days after the attack at Apache Pass, we organized in the mountains and returned to fight the soldiers. There were two tribes, the Badonkahe and the Chaconan Apaches, both commanded by Cochise. After a few days skirmishing, we attacked a freight train that was coming in with supplies for the fort. We killed some of the men and captured the others. These prisoners, our chief, offered to trade for the Indians whom the soldiers had captured at the massacre in the tent. This the officers refused, so we killed our prisoners, disbanded, and went into hiding in the mountains. Of those who took part in this affair, I am the only one now living. In a few days, troops were sent out to search for us, but as we were disbanded, it was, of course, impossible for them to locate any hostile camp. During the time they were searching for us, many of our warriors, who were thought by the soldiers to be peaceable Indians, talked to the officers and men, advising them where they might find the camp they sought, and while they searched, we watched them from our hiding places and laughed at their failures. After this trouble, all of the Indians agreed not to be friendly with the white men any more. There was no general engagement, but a long struggle followed. Sometimes we attacked the white men, sometimes they attacked us. First a few Indians would be killed, and then a few soldiers. I think the killing was about equal on each side. The number killed in these troubles did not amount to much, but this treachery on the part of the soldiers had angered the Indians and revived memories of other wrongs, so that we never again trusted the United States troops. End of Part 1 of The White Men